Well, last Sunday, the, uh, we had the children's program, so the Advent subject of love kind of got a little, get, little bit uh, short shrift. So this morning, Kyle gets to combine love and joy with four or five hours of teaching and preaching. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it would be quite that long. <laughs> but we're anxious to, to hear what he has to teach this morning, so let's pray for him as we begin. Father, thank you for Kyle, and just thank you now as we... Uh, open your word. We just pray the message you have for us would come through and just uh, bless Kyle and give him the words that we need to hear. We ask it in your name. Amen. <laughs> Jeez. Morning. I hope everyone had a good week this week. It's a pleasure to be here with everyone. If you came in from out of town, I hope that you were able to travel without any difficulties. And uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord together. As we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate His coming, the Word becoming flesh, and our Messiah coming to start a chain of events that will eventually lead us to the cross of Jesus Christ. So turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we're going to be reading in two places today, from the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Luke. And where we're going to start is John 1, 14. And I've heard some theologians describe this as the shortest, most abridged version of the Christmas story that is in the Gospels. <laughs> John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And they saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as we said, that is what we're celebrating today at Christmas. We're celebrating the coming of the Eternal One, of the Creator, into our world to save us from our sins. And when you look at the beginning of John chapter 1, you look at the first three verses. It reads that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So when you see this description of this God that came into the world to take on flesh to save his creation, what are the ways that John begins by describing him to us? He is described as being with God. He is God. He is the creator. He is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. He is the eternal being. And so we ask ourselves, why is it that he came? Why did he come into this world? And as you continue to read through the Gospel of John, John answers that question in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is why the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 When he's speaking about grace and salvation from Jesus Christ, he refers to it as the gift of God. This is the gift of God, salvation through Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. And when we look in the West, we look at Christmas and we look at Easter. Sometimes we kind of separate the two holidays. We separate the two celebrations, don't we? It's almost as if. They're, they're two different events because Christmas we have Advent and we have K 
candle services and then Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And with Easter, we have Good Friday and Monday, Thursday and Palm Sunday and Easter. And we look at the two as being different, but they're not. For the believer, entering into the Christmas season should be taking us and pointing us towards Easter, pointing us towards a celebration of the events that the love of Christ had that Christ did for us out of his love. And when the theologian and the minister, John Piper, speaks about this, he states that the cross happened because he came. He came to have flesh, flesh that would be pierced, a body that would bleed, cheeks that would be smacked around, a beard that would be pulled, and he continues to go through all the ways that Christ suffered at the time of the crucifixion. And then he states that that's the only way grace could come to sinners. That's why we receive grace upon grace. The incarnate word came to have flesh so that he could die for sinners. Had he not died for sinners, we wouldn't have grace, only judgment. Therefore, Christmas is preparation for Good Friday. Don't isolate that holiday. Don't let it be on an island by itself because it is pointing us towards Easter. And because of this, because of our Savior entering into the world and because of the road that he will take to the Christ to save us from eternal death, Christmas is a celebration of joy. And it is a joy that we as believers have in Jesus Christ. Now turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. The Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Now when we read through the Gospels, we see that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that they, they seemingly begin differently, don't they? They don't seem to begin in the same way. When you look at Mark... Mark begins and it has four verses where he addresses the prophecy in Isaiah about John the Baptist, the one making straight the way of the Lord. And then it just kind of starts with John the Baptist and Jesus and they take off. And then when you get into Luke, that is the gospel that we look at as having maybe more the more traditional approach of the way we think about the Christmas story with the angels visiting the shepherds and the angels visiting Mary and the decree from Caesar Augustus and ending up in Bethlehem, and so on. Now, when you get to John, John focuses on the eternal to begin with, as we, as we had stated earlier. And I often wonder, if someone asked you, when did the Christmas story begin? What is the answer that you would give them? Is it when the angels came to visit Mary, or the angel Gabriel? Is it when Gabriel visited Joseph? Is it when the angels visited the shepherds in the field? Or... Is it what John said? The Christmas story began in eternity before the creation of the world even began. When an all-knowing, all-powerful God decided that this is the way that he would save his creation. And then when you go into Matthew, you see it beginning with the genealogy of Joseph. And then Gabriel visits Joseph as well. And we have the story of the wise men coming. And these men come from the east and they follow the star to see the child who was born. And they bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold being what you would give a king. Frankincense, spoken of in the book of Leviticus, as a sacrifice to the Lord. A sacrifice of abundance. And myrrh being what was put on a body at the time of death. 
But no matter what way these Gospels begin, rather it is through prophecy being spoke of or angels declaring his coming or shepherds and wise men going to praise and worship him, all four Gospels begin by pointing to the fact that that which is beyond us has come to us. All four begin by stating that Christ, our creator, has come and that the story of Easter is beginning. The eternal one, the son of God, the creator, the Messiah. If the Christmas story is the story of our creator coming into the world, then we say that all four Gospels begin with the Christmas story. Now, if you haven't already, please turn to Luke chapter two. We're going to be reading verses seven through twenty. Luke chapter 2, 7 through 20. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. Now, the last time we were together, we read this story and we focused on Peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding that comes from the joy of knowing him. And so today, as we read this story, we focus on love and joy and joy is all over this story, isn't it? You see that the angels say that they are bringing good news of a great joy. And you see the shepherds go and celebrate and find this child and tell everyone what is happening. And they leave praising him. And so when we look at joy and we ask ourselves, how would we define joy? Well, we would look at joy and say that there are two different ways to define it. There's a way to define joy according to the world. And there's a way to define joy biblically. Now, if we were looking at the world's definition of joy, if you were to go to Webster's Dictionary, it would state that joy is an emotion that is evoked by well-being, success or good fortune. And the prospect of possessing what one desires. So joy, according to Webster, is the prospect of possessing what one desires, well-being and success. Now, we as Christians, we who have a relationship with Christ, how would we define 
that type of joy, well, we would look at that and we would say that that is a weak joy. That is a hopeless joy. That is a temporary joy. If your joy is coming off of your performance and your success and your desires, you can never have a purpose. You can never have a sense of fulfillment. You can never truly be happy because a joy based on success is absolutely hopeless. But when we look at a biblical joy, how does that differ in its own definition? Well, there are several words in the Bible that are used to define joy. And when you look in the Old Testament, oftentimes when joy is spoken of, it is spoken of with its source. So you see in the Psalms a joy that comes to shepherds as they are out tending their flock in a green pasture. Or the joy that you have with the company of friends or the joy that comes from a sweet smelling perfume. There's always a source with the joy. And when you look in the New Testament, the main word that's used in there is chara. And that is used to describe ones who rejoice, who are glad and who have received joy. So the biblical definition in the New Testament is those who have received joy. That is the definition of biblical joy. It is a joy that is completely external from us. Biblical joy is a gladness that comes from a source outside of ourselves. It is a gladness that comes from Christ, and it can only come from knowing him and having a relationship with him. And as we go through Advent and we look at all these different words throughout the last few weeks, hope, peace, love, and joy, for the believer, these are words that point us towards the eternal because they are all centered in Christ Jesus and they stem from a relationship with him. Now, there's also the the direction that joy flows. It can go internal to external or external to internal. And what do we mean by that? Well, for the unbeliever, joy is internal to external. They go through this world and they, they do the things as Webster defined it. They find success and they get all these possessions and they get online and they show you, they project joy out. They show you how great their world is. But underneath all of that, there are most oftentimes some of the most miserable people that you will ever meet in your life. How many times have we heard in the news of millionaires or athletes or actors or actresses that have harmed themselves or gotten into drug abuse? And you ask yourself why, because they seem happy in all their interviews and, and on the social media posts. Everything looks perfect, but it's because they are trying to convince you that they are happy. They're trying to convince you that what they have achieved has given them joy. But then for the believer, joy goes in the opposite direction. It flows from the external to the internal. And it is a life-changing event. It is an indescribable joy that goes beyond the world's definition. Because it is a joy in the eternal. And because it is a joy in the eternal and a joy that is outside of ourselves, it is something that men recognize as being different because it is completely foreign to them. It is a joy that is foreign to them. It is a joy that they can never understand until they come into a relationship with Christ. And in the book entitled, Can I Have Joy in My Life? I think that's aptly titled for today. It's written by a theologian and minister named R.C. Sproul. And when he is addressing joy in the life of a believer, he states that our joy is to come from the assurance 
that we have redemption in Jesus Christ. The greatest joy that a person can have is to know that his name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that he is saved and will live forever with Christ Jesus. That is true joy for the believer. But he goes on to continue to speak on joy in the life of the believer. And he states that since joy is a fruit of the Spirit, our sanctification is displayed not only by our love, peace, kindness, and so forth, but by the joy that comes out of us, the joy that an unbelieving world recognizes. The Gospel of John tells us that he is the light that shines in the darkness. And when the spirit of joy is upon us, the joy that we have in him, it is something that shines into the darkness of an unbelieving world that they can see the light of Christ Jesus. And do not let the enemy fool you, brothers and sisters. Do not get into hard or difficult times and allow Satan to convince you that you no longer have joy in your relationship with Christ or to cause you to lose focus of your joy that you have with Christ Jesus. Sometimes we get so bogged down in life and we get focused that our relationship with Christ, it turns into this, this relationship of asking for his will to be changed, almost a relationship of fear because we are looking at the outcome and we are hoping that he changes it. And so in those moments, it is difficult for us to remember the love and the joy that we have for him. But it is never absent from us. The minister, Paul Washer, is speaking about this, and he quotes a theologian from the 1700s named Charles Simeon. And Charles states that joy qualifies for suffering. When the spirit is oppressed, the smallest trial is a burden. And these seasons we are apt to fret against God and man, We consider our trials to be divine wrath of an overlooking God. We vet our indignation against the instruments he uses when the soul is joyous. But when the soul is joyous, when we have a relationship with Christ, the joy that is focused on Christ Jesus, afflictions appear light. See how little Paul and Silas regard their imprisonment. How willing Paul was to give up his life for the sake of Jesus Christ. And this accords with the experience of every Christian. Every trial and tribulation we have, even though we are in his will and we do not know what the outcome is, we still can have joy in knowing how it ends. Because we have placed our faith in Christ Jesus and we will not see death. We will be in eternity with him. And to continue on with this, Paul Washer adds that when all that God is, all that God has done, and all that God will do is apprehended, comprehended, and believed by you, it will produce a joy in you that is independent from everything in this world but God. When we recognize what God has done, when we comprehend it and we believe it, when we believe what God is doing in our life, and when we believe of what is to come. It will place our faith and our joy and our love and our hope solely in Christ, in Christ alone. And when we have this joy that comes from being focused on Christ Jesus, the trials will not matter as much. They will seem light, as Charles said. Unhealthy emotions will not linger in our heart. Forgiveness will occur easier for us as we are more apt to let go of the emotions of anger and wrath and grudges that we think give us power over someone who wronged us. 
But because joy is in our hearts, we will be more willing to let those go. Prayer will increase. The reading of the word will grow in importance in you because it is how the spirit feeds you in knowing him. And all manners of the Christian life, all will increase when your joy is in him. A biblical joy is a joy that can come only from knowing Christ. When you look at the angels that we had just read about in Luke chapter 2, look at the way the angels describe him by what they're saying. I bring you good news of great joy. And think about that. When our Savior enters into the world, before the men from the east bow and worship him, and before these physically strong and courageous shepherds go, and they bow down, and they praise him, the angel describes him as great joy. That is one of the first ways that our Savior is described after entering into this world. Great joy. And why is it that the angel would describe him in that way? It is because the angel of the Lord knew him. He knew who it was that had come, and he knew why he was here. He was here to save mankind, to restore us, to be able to commune with our Father as was intended. And when you see the shepherds go, and they are praising him in joy, it is because they have a hope in the future. But they do not know about the cross. The angels did not tell them exactly what Christ was going to do while he was here. Only that there was good news of great joy. But it is that hope for the future and that hope for what was going on in the present that allowed them to rejoice in that moment with joy. And when you look at the Apostle Paul and you see all of the trials that he went through in his life, you see him in the book of Philippians being imprisoned in Philippians 1.25. He still uses terms like joy in the faith when he's speaking to the church in Philippi. He tells them that he will be observing them and their joy in the faith. And in Philippians 3.1, he goes on to continue to say, that we are to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice and have joy in the Lord. And so when you see the angels, when you see the shepherds, and when you see the Apostle Paul, we see that their joy is in Jesus Christ because of what he had done, because of what he was doing, and because of what was to come. And so when you see a believer's joy and the world's joy, a joy that is based off of performance and success, in a joy that is based off of having a relationship with Christ Jesus. We can see the difference between the two. And I hope as we move forward with the celebration of Christmas, with those whom we love the most surrounding us, that we take time to reflect on the love and the joy that we have in him. Oftentimes we, re- we reflect on the hope and peace that he gives us because of the love that he has for us. It's not that often that we take time to reflect on the love that we have in him and the joy that we have in him. And I hope that you take time to reflect on those today. A joy that stems from knowing him because of what he did on the cross after entering into this world. The Logos becoming flesh for the sake of mankind. Let's pray. Christ, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for coming into this world. We thank you for a time that we can get together with family and friends and celebrate the prophecies that were fulfilled in speaking of you. We pray, Lord, that you continue to guide us in the days ahead, that you continue to
Teach us of your love, the hope we have in you, the joy that you give us, and the peace that transcends all understanding. I pray that everyone is safe as we celebrate this holiday with our family and friends, and that we take time to reflect on you. Amen. And in closing for the benediction, we'll do that first since there's some music afterwards. I'll be reading from the book of Philippians 2, 5 through 11. This is Paul talking about the attitude that we should have with each other, but he's referencing the Christmas story. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Peace be with you.